to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. Hi, welcome to Overcoming Adversity Podcast with Amanda Marino and Blake Cohen. This is episode 25. We are so excited that you're here with us. We have an awesome guest. How are you doing, Blake? I'm good. I'm pumped about episode 25. I can't believe it's already been that much. And 25 is the age that I got sober at. So it's a special a special number. I feel like it's a milestone. We're at like a, a quarter of a hundred, which I don't want to impress you guys too much with my math, but I just, uh, I just did that on the fly. If you didn't. Wow. You're so tell. smart. You're so smart. Yeah. I mean, let me explain a little bit further. So 25 times four equals a hundred. Thank God you clarified that one for me. Yeah. 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 No problem. Anytime you have any questions like that, feel free to throw them my way. Well, we're so excited about episode 25 because we have somebody really, really great with us. Um, you know, his name's Matt Williams and, you know, Matt has, I've known Matt for years and he's just always someone who lifts and empowers others. And, you know, the work, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, you know, that Blake and I are all about, you know, taking things to the next level. Hence why we started our company, Next Level Recovery Associates, um, who is the sponsor of this podcast. You know, we're always gravitating to people that are like-minded. Yeah. So Matt, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's awesome to be here and uh, just get a quick math, math lesson in. I was really appreciative of that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to explain it again? So what I meant by a quarter of a hundred, I can explain it. Right. If you like. I was trying to figure out if, if I have four quarters, that, that equals a hundred, right? Well, so no, well, four quarters equals one dollar. But <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But the quarter represents a penny, 25 pennies. I see. Does that make sense? When, oh my you, God. when you break that down into dimes and nickels, do you guys, do you operate with that kind of money or that kind of? Oh, you lost me guys. You guys lost me in the dimes and the nickels. There's a, <laughs> uh, there's a change shortage going on in this country. So I don't think it's actually funny if we talk about this. Okay. People are struggling without change. I apologize. I shouldn't, yeah. I should not have brought that up. Way to offend our guests right off the bat. Right or offend our listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, Matt, dude, it's cool to have you on, brother. I, I've actually, you and I have met once before, which we talked about where that was. But you're somebody who I've, you know, not to weird you out, but I've, I've heard about a number of times over the past couple of years, and I've always heard nothing but good things. And that you're a stand-up dude, and I'm like, I got to get to know that guy. But we just, I think, well, we run in different circles or similar circles, and haven't had a chance to cross paths until recently. Right. When we met, it was nighttime, and I usually don't do anything at nighttime. So the fact that I, we met during nighttime was my chance. But uh, yeah, it was so funny catching up on that because it involved uh, a, a mutual friend and celebrating a, a moment in their life. So it was yeah, it was cool, cool to cool to obviously meet people that run in those circles and everybody's connected in some way. But uh, yeah, no, really cool to reconnect and um, you know. Obviously, Amanda, thank you. I, I, if the listeners don't know, I'm pinch hitting for a, another good friend who had business. So, you know, I guess I had nothing to do on a Friday, but just hang out with you guys, which I'm really excited about. 
Well, you were in the thoughts anyway, so you were somebody that was going to be asked as soon as we had availability. So, um, you know, I just think that you're someone that truly goes after your dreams, and I know, you know, pieces of your story and know that you've overcome a lot of things to get where you are. And, you know, so we are just, you know, super pumped to have you on. So I'm grateful to be here. Thank you, guys. You know, I'm always down to hear the adversity piece and hear the the struggles and, and how you overcame it. But I, I'm excited to get towards the end because of how much you have accomplished and what you're doing with your life today, because I know it's a lot. And, and I know that you've, you've got a lot of credentials and all types of things that you've accomplished in, in recent years, which is just so impressive, honestly. And it's so I'm excited to get there because I think that's really the inspirational piece. But I do think we should set that up first with helping to understand uh, and telling our audiences what what did you struggle with and what, what was your adversities? I mean, for me, um, the, the the biggest thing was getting to a, a, literally a point of admitting that I needed help and surrendering. And, and I really struggled with, I think it's a, a common thing with people that you guys talk to struggled with, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, and, you know, for a while I, I thought it was, you know, an anger issue. I thought it was, uh, you know, all these different things that I wasn't really focusing on. And it's like, you know, when you know something, but you're not ready to admit it yet. And you're just like, yeah, man, I just, you know, I'm an angry guy or like, I can't, you know, do this or I can't hold my liquor or, you know, all these, all these things had been happening in my life. And essentially I think everybody can relate to doing something that they love or working hard at something. And then, you know, one decision, one action, one, you know, a series of events just kind of bring everything down on, on, on top of each other. And it was just one of those things that eventually, you know, the tire, the, the whole thing of being tired of building and then breaking down and having a career and threatening that with, you know, driving drunk and, and, and all these different poor decisions I made, you know, resulted in, you know, me asking for help and essentially seeking help from people that, uh, you know, were in, in the sober, I guess the sober world or that were living a life that was a lot better than the way I was living. Um, so again, again, is that, are we going to, is that cool to talk about that? Or is there some, some other type of adversity you'd like to like to discuss? No, unless there's something else that you wanted to bring up. No, I just didn't know. Cool. Yeah. And no, I just want to make sure my, my, my focus is on, on the right thing here. And this is who we're trying to talk to about that. So I, I should have, I guess, prefaced that because I know there's a lot of adversity out there, but, uh, yeah, and, and just so that you have a, um, a perspective of, of the show, that we, we do cover all adversities, and sure. we have no problem going over some of the same adversities that people have struggled with, because your story is different. So a story of right. somebody overcoming addiction, uh, they relate to some people, and then there may be another person who has the same adversity, but the other story didn't relate to them. So we, right. we love going over these types of things. Um, you know, Amanda cool. and I have talked quite a bit about our, our struggles with addiction and mental health and our stories of overcoming, but we are open to anything. Cool. So I, I'm curious, though, how long was your stretch of struggles and, and where, did it, where did it start with drugs and alcohol? Where, where was the beginning? Uh, it definitely was, you know, <laughs> the beginning. Wow. Uh, the stretch was a long period of time. I would say like, the really bad stretch was probably from 2003 to 2010. But before that, there was, you know, there was ups and downs. Uh, you know, I, 
I didn't know if I was depressed. I didn't know, you know, if I was living in a state of anxiety and, you know, I was one of those, I was one of those like super hyper kids. So like, I don't know if it dates back to being a kid and like not having an attention span to, you know, play organized sports. And I was always more concerned with like <laughs> running outside and like catching, you know, fish and running around golf courses and just like getting in all sorts of trouble and like being the outdoor kid. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, like, like anybody, uh, you know, when I started drinking, um, and I started to experiment with different things in the, in the drug, drug aspect of it, uh, you know, I really, <laughs> I always say in my story, when I share my stories, like I really enjoyed the manipulation factor of doing all these things and then hiding it from the people that love me the most. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really, yeah. So I really was like good about, you know, in my crew of friends, there was, you know, at one point there was like 10 or 12, 10, 11, 12 of us, you know, there was like guys that were in the music and in sports. And I was one that did both and like kind of that, you know, cross different friend groups and love to hang out with everybody. But, you know, I was always like, Oh, you know, Matt's such a good guy. And, you know, Matt, you know, I was just the parent, I had the parents fooled, which I love. Mm. And it really, really, you know, bothered my friends. Cause they're like, yeah, Matt wasn't like sleeping because like we were out doing something. Matt drank so much that he passed out. And like, that's why he didn't get in trouble or the cops didn't catch Matt. Cause Matt was on the couch, passed out already. But you know, all these things were, you know, manipulation factors when, you know, you're with your friends and you're fooling parents and you're fooling loved ones. And you know, I think I, I fell in love with that more so than the act of actually consuming, you know, alcohol and drugs. Mm. Um, and, and that like the you hustle, know, you were in love with the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I love the hustle. And I, and that's where they talk about it all the time. It's like, there was like two lives. There was, you know, I was a nice guy and I was really good at talking to parents and really good at talking to people and, you know, grew up in a pretty, I would say I was, I grew up in a pretty strict household, but like I was, I was the youngest of three boys and my older brothers didn't really party, but like there was always friends around. So, you know, I got to be social with people from a young age and, you know, those people were a lot, a lot older than me. So, you know, getting to be able to talk to adults and learn how to do that, that kind of allowed my manipulation to keep growing. And, you know, the, the, the more elaborate the scheme or the manipulation, the more lies I could tell, the more fun it was and putting on that act. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, all of the adversity started once like people realized what I was really, what I, who I really was, you know, and it was like, this isn't a nice guy. This is a guy that's sick and suffering. He's struggling. You know, he's really nice, but then, you know, behind the scenes, he's, you know, he can't keep his stuff together. And, you know, I'd work really hard and I would, you know, work to get, you know, my master's and graduate college and put on the act of like, you know, I'm doing everything. Everything's okay. I got everything under control. You know, this is good. That's good. I'm playing sports. I'm coaching. I'm teaching. I'm doing all these things. And then in the privacy of my own home, it was, you know, getting fall down drunk or, you know, getting incredibly high or, um, you know, just doing things that were not conducive to a healthy lifestyle or a lifestyle that one would think someone that ended up being a professional, you know, educator and coach would be doing. I will, however, tell you that teachers are some of the craziest people mm-hmm. I have ever partied with. <laughs> if you did not know that, yes, we do. You're a teacher, <laughs> and you're a teacher listening, then uh, the the jig is up, your cover is blown, and that's the deal. Because everybody I knew that was a teacher or coach loved to party. 
Matt, was there a time when it when it started to become high hard to like live the double life, or, or were you able to like maintain that? Uh, I maintained it. Well, that's the thing. Like my perception, I maintained it, and like I maintained it all the way through until you know, the final, you know, the final DUI and the final problem. But, uh, you know, I, I had the, for, I was very fortunate that I could teach in, you know, like up in New York, like everything's really close by. So I could teach in New York or I could teach in Connecticut. I could go to the city and like have fun with my friends that, you know, were living in, you know, out of school, living in the city, having fun and engaging in I call them real jobs. Um, well, I was just kind of bopping around, but yeah, it got to be pretty unbearable. Um, you know, realizing that I bartend till four in the morning, smell like absolute booze and think that like brushing my teeth and taking a shower and then showing up to, you know, teach in a classroom at seven thirty, three and a half hours later on no sleep, uh, was, you know, a great idea. And, you know, those, those are the types of things that started to happen where I, my conscience was like, man, you can't be doing this. And, then my my right. willing my want of manipulation and my want of of saying I can play this role this is my role like this is what I've been meant to do I can do this would be like hey man you got to step up to the plate you're a teacher you're a coach you got to show up you can't call out and there was a, a bunch of times that you know unfortunately for you know some of the kids and some of the you know the teachers that I worked with it's just like man what are you doing here this is this is not okay. Uh, so yeah, it started to take a toll. I would say, I would say early twenties, um, started to take a toll, uh, where I, I really knew I had a problem or a situation or an issue, but I just wasn't really willing to admit, you know, that I was an alcoholic or an addict yet. So it, right. it, it just, you know, it just kind of mounts and it just keeps going and going and going. And it, it finally broke me. And, you know, I finally broke in 2010 and had the, you know, coming to light moment of like, either do this or you don't, you know, there was you know, DUI involved and thankfully no one got hurt other than myself. And it was, all right, either surrender and get help or continue down this path that you're going. And at that point, my, my drinking had reached a moment of like, I wanted to not be alive anymore because I was so embarrassed. I, I brought shame to, you know, I felt like I brought shame to everyone around me. I, was just a, an absolute mess and nothing could be done and there was no hope for me whatsoever. So I was like, this is probably a good time to remove myself from this planet. Uh, and those, you know, you have, I had those thoughts. I've heard other people's stories where they've had those thoughts and it's a pretty scary and a dark right. place to be. And it is. if you're talking, sure. you know, there's shows about advert, you know, the shows about adversity. It's just like, well, when you get to that point, what do you do? You know, like, yeah. what's, yeah. what's the next, you know, what's the next step you're faced with? Hey, I really want to, you know, I really love drinking and drugging, but it got me to a point of, I kind of want to kill myself. Um, and yeah, hopeless, like feeling hopeless. Oh, just utter, utter, utter darkness and hopelessness. Absolutely. And you do, you come to did that you, fork did, in the road. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I know. I was wondering, Matt, did you, did you always want to be a teacher? Like, was that your dream? And like, what did it, like, what drew you to that profession? <sighs> I, I loved, I mean, I, I was a Spanish major and I wanted to teach Spanish because I thought if I taught Spanish, I'd get to like travel to other countries on and, and, and speak like I had been able to do and, and, and gone abroad. And I thought that was really special. However, 
when you start out as a Spanish teacher, you're at square one. So you're just teaching conjugations and verbs and all these other things that, you know, I forgot about. So I said, well, you know, I love teaching everything. I love history. I love science. I loved everything about, you know, going to school. And I remember some of the greatest teachers. My mom was a teacher. My oldest brother was a teacher. And it wasn't like that, oh, it's in the family. It was, I just enjoyed being around people. I liked helping people. I liked being a process, being part of a process of learning and like getting better at something. And, it, you know, I, I've tried every single job that's out there. Like every summer job, I was a janitor. I, I was a garbage man. I, you know, I worked at a landscaping company. I worked at a pool at a snack bar, making food. I, I tried all these different things. And I really enjoyed being in a school setting, working with other people and, and essentially somewhat being a mentor to people that were trying to figure out what they wanted to do because I had such great people in my life and was really fortunate going to a, a couple great schools and guidance counselors and surrounded by just some really awesome people that made it look like, man, this would be a great profession for me to be in. Yeah, but then there comes that, that separation of your core values and what you want and the face or mask that you're putting on during the day to be this teacher, to be this coach. And then there comes the nighttime version of you or the, the, oh, yeah. the, part, the part that's light is not shed on, where that's what really creates our, our lack of self-esteem, our lack of confidence. And we really start to hate ourselves for that because even though that you during the day that is the real you those are your real wants and needs for me at least i began to believe that the the darker version of me was the real me and i was this bad person yeah wow yeah no i never really thought of it like that but i i i I just yeah i (laughs) i remember you know not being able to decipher you know which was the real me and was the nice the nice me that was raised by these awesome parents and this great community and you know, all of this awesomeness was the the fake one. And, and that was, I, I just remember there's a lot of situations where people, you know, I had gotten into it and gotten a ride home from, you know, <laughs> local authorities in Stanford, Connecticut, because of, you know, I ran a bar and did all this other stuff. And I remember, I remember the, the policewoman looking at me and just being like, wow, you're a teacher. She's like, I really pray to God, my kids never encounter somebody like you. And I was like, wow, wow. Uh, that's wow. Yeah, that is pretty harsh, especially with how you looked at the teachers in your life. You know, they were such an right. inspiration to you, and you, you actually got so much mentorship from people. Yeah, I mean, one of my old football coaches, he was the principal of the school when I started kind of entering in. And, you know, we were I was still a rowdy, even more rowdy when I was younger. And I remember he looked at me one time, he's like, you know, maybe this really isn't for you because you seem mm-hmm. to just not – you seem to not be able to understand and show up all the time that's needed to be a teacher. I remember he said, like, there was a couple of people that I really looked up to that, you know, had my number and knew what I was all about. And, you know, when they told me that, I was like, you know, you know, who the fuck are you to tell me that? You know, like, you know, sorry about that. Who who the heck are you to, you know, who the heck are you to tell me that? And I just was upset because, you know, when I look back on it, they were right. You know, one of my co-teachers in Connecticut, her mom was like, oh, you're the alcoholic. And I was like, what the hell did you say? And I remember my, she was a co-teacher of mine and she was like, mom. And she's like, what? I can tell. Look at him. And I was like, wow. And, and, And people have my number. It's like, you know, when you're the last to know. You know, quote unquote, you're always the last to know. Like I oh, knew, yeah. I just I wasn't ready to admit or surrender or any of those, you know, words that we learn when we come into recovery. 
Yeah, you sort of end up embracing that in a sense or denying it of going like that is not that's not my problem. Alcohol is not my problem. It's it's anger or it's that people don't listen to me or it's this person or that person or this thing, that thing. It's this job. I got too much oh, pressure. Kinda, here. Yeah, and, kind of transference, 100 percent. Yeah. And, you know, alcohol is sort of the last thing to blame on the list. And you, we just don't see it in that moment. And I, I mean, I remember being in my first treatment center and they're talking about addict this and alcoholic that. And I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. You, you guys don't understand. Like that stuff wasn't my problem. Like right, that, right. <laughs> yeah, like I was using it every day, but that's just because I became physically addicted. It has nothing to do with my thoughts, my thought patterns or my behaviors. <laughs> right, 100%. Nice yeah. denial. I, I was, had a thick layer of denial for oh, sure. Yeah. So I, I really relate a lot to your story, Matt. And I, the, especially the piece about growing up and I always had the image of the good kid. Like I was, I was every parent's favorite friend. Correct. Because there you go. I was always the well-behaved one while everyone else is getting yelled at and they're going, why can't you be more like Blake? I'm sitting there giggling going like, man, I was the one who instigated this whole thing, but like my friends aren't ratting me out. I'm just sitting there giggling. Right. Oh, I and- was quite the opposite. I was the girl that nobody wanted their daughters to hang out with. You were Or their sons. Or their sons for that matter. Get yeah. away from Amanda. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You didn't have anybody fooled. No, I wore it right on my sleeve. <laughs> I'm a like little that. bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, in, in a sense, that's almost good for you, Amanda. Like for, for people like Matt and I going through it, our ability to pull the wool over people's eyes really is enabling. I mean, we really got away with a lot. And we're sort of our behavior or our situation is the last to look at. And I know when I was going through my struggles, being addicted to something or having a substance use disorder was the last thing on everybody's mind. It was like, Oh, he must be going through a hard time or he's really oh, struggling. Yeah. Or he's got, it was always something else because no one could ever possibly believe that I would be someone who struggled with a substance use disorder. Right. And that, and that's, I think, you know, having worked a little bit in the industry, it's like you, you know, I, I remember talking to families or talking to parents and, and, you know, not realizing how much they took on the role of like, what did I do wrong? Even my own mother years into my sobriety, you know, she was kind of, we were driving home one time we had like a three hour drive. Um, and I I was taking her back to New York and she was trapped in the car and it was like a, like a goodwill hunting moment. I was like, mom, you know, it wasn't your fault. Right. Yeah. Like it's not your fault. And she, you know, we, we had this great conversation at the end of it. She was like, no, you know, you never told me that. And I, I literally broke my heart you know, to, to have this, you know, 77 year old woman think that she did something wrong and that my drug and alcohol use was dependent on what something she did or didn't do. I like broke my heart because like, she's the best, you know, like our parents are the best and, you know, everybody makes mistakes and everybody's human. But, you know, I just remember like, how can you possibly think, you know, because I knew it was all me and I, you know, you can blame, oh, it's because of this or that. Or, you know, when my father died, using that as an excuse and be like, man, if you, you, you know, if your, your dad died at 26 years old, you'd be doing what I'm doing. And it was just another excuse for me to be a complete other and utter lunatic, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. And that's, and that's, and those are the things that I guess until I got sober, I didn't realize how much I was really hurting somebody else. 
you know, the, you know, the day, you know, there's shame and disappointment. Yeah, I know, you know, but when you realize the damage, when I realized the damage I caused mm-hmm. and the belief that my mom held at 77 or, you know, I, I was like, wow, like this, yeah. this is still, there are still consequences from everything in the years that I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I, which is super heavy to think about. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that so much. I, I remember when my family came over to do their intervention on me, my dad going on the balcony of this apartment that I just moved into that I, it was new year's Eve was my sober date. This is when they did the intervention and rent was due the next day. And I like, I had no money to pay for it, this rent. And my dad being on the balcony yelling, what did I do wrong? I just don't understand. What did I do wrong? And I wasn't in the right state of mind to hear that. To me, I'm like, oh, stop making this about you, dad. This is my intervention. And, you know, a few weeks later, recognizing the true pain that we cause our loved ones when we're in active addiction is just, it's heartbreaking and it destroyed me. Oh, so we're like, I, I, I literally just felt like I was on that balcony because I, I can relate. That's the, that's the fucking worst. Yeah. So tell us moving forward. I mean, so what was the first steps that you took uh, specifically that really started the process of recovery for you? And how is it that you maintain your recovery? What, what do you, what are your beliefs behind your recovery that keep you going? I just, uh, I, I kind of just listened to the people that I knew had a story similar to mine or very, uh, had gone through things that I had gone through that were practicing a, a way of living. Um, and I started to listen to them and take their suggestions and, you know, it's like a, like a puppy dog. I was like a new puppy and I was 28 years old and my way of doing things didn't work. And other people were living lives that I thought remarkable, uh, at the time. Cause I lost, you know, every, everything that I worked hard for, you know, you lose a driver's license, you lose a car, you lose the ability to work and do what you love to do. And all these things have been stripped to me because of my decisions and, you know, and, and the consequences as a result. And, I just listened to people that knew or were doing things that I wanted to do. They were helping people, nothing in return. They were reaching out, doing great things in the community. Everything that I saw and like, you know, it's like your eyes open up and you're like, wow, you know, there's so much world other than, you know, what am I, you know, when can I start drinking or, you know, when is it technically okay for me to, you know, uh, you know, make a phone call to, you know, call the dealer. Is it too early at 10 a.m.? You know, it's like all these different things that I was worried about. Suddenly I wasn't worried about anymore. And uh, I just started watching. And I was just kind of that little puppy dog that watched people do really awesome things. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And I want to be a part of that. Or I want to seek to be in a position one day where I can help people and give back. Because I like that aspect, like I said, in, in terms of like teaching and coaching is, when you can be a part of someone's journey and help them and there's no, you know, they call motives now, like there's no motives other than just being a part of it and be like, Hey, you know, it's so cool to watch, you know, it's like watching somebody get sober. It's, it's so cool to just watch that person get sober and their life improve and not, you know, go down the shitter or go to jail or die. And it's, it, it's one of those things that I just followed and, and, <laughs> and listened and learned and didn't really question why they told me to do things. Matt, you, 
you have something that not everyone in recovery has. And it's like, you have a fire and a zest for life and like a determination to like thrive, continue to thrive and grow. Like that's just something that, you know, unfortunately for others, they don't all have it, you know, but you definitely have it. And I remember when we worked, when I, we didn't work together, you were working um, for the place that I ended up working after and you were, you know, starting, you had your dream of your frozen protein bar and you had, it was like just started. And then you were also like in an advertisement for like Reebok or Nike or something. <laughs> what was that about? So that was, yeah. So that was really cool. And that's kind of when I started to really be more vocal because the first three years I was, you know, the first three years of sobriety were great because I didn't drink or drug, but there were also a lot of consequences and things hanging over my head. Like, you know, one to three years in jail for all the things I had done not ever getting a license back or driving a car for five to 10 years. All these different things were a result, but there were some really cool things that started to happen. And by being a nice guy and just showing up and uh, you call it a drive and I appreciate all the nice things you said, but it was just kind of like, it's like an, like an actual addict or alcoholic. It's like things when you start to feel good and you start to do good and you start to be part of like a good thing, what do you want? You want more of it. You know, you want to be surrounded by it. You want to engage in it. You want to create it. And that's kind of what I saw as, you know, one of my first mentors. Can I, can I say sponsor? Can I say that? Sponsor? Uh, up to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my first mentors. Nothing's off the that. table. <laughs> right. You know, I don't want to break tradition or anything like that. But one of the first people that ever gave me advice was, you know, busy guy. He helped me out. He had this great family and all these good things going on in his life. And, you know, I watched a couple other guys that would go out to coffee and do all this other stuff. And I just said, you know, Hey man, like, you know, I, you know, wh why don't we do that? And he goes, listen, man, I got a, I got a busy fucking life. He goes, I'm here helping you. We're doing some work. He goes, you want something like that? You want a community like that? Go build it. And I was mm -hmm. like, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I, hey, listen, I love you. I don't, you know, like you want to get sober, you want to hug. And I, I always joke, I was like, well, I kind of want both. You know, I want you to hug me and I want you to tell me it's going to be okay and also be tough on me at the same time. And I, he just, that stuck in my head of like, okay, community. I love community. I grew up in a great community. I want to build that. I want to surround myself with people that are like-minded and doing what I do and help people that aren't there yet. And that's just kind of slowly how that worked. You know, like when we met, it was, I'm building this little cool snack bar that's fun on the side. I'm working in a treatment facility, um, you know, coaching and training people on the side and doing, you know, seven days of seven days a week, just working, you know, you know, morning sunrise to sunset and, and longer. And, and, but I loved it and I was busy and I was doing things, not expecting anything other than like, man, I, I can put my head on the pillow and it's so corny, but I can put my head on the pillow and it was a great day. And if I yeah. get to do it tomorrow, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then slowly things just started to unfold and, you know, opportunities that weren't there became available and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of risk and things like, you know, we talked about, you know, a couple months ago when you were on my podcast about I had to take a risk and I had to do this and look at you now, you know, it's like, who would ever thought that, you know, well, obviously people around you would have thought, yeah, this girl's going to set the world on fire and this, you know, these two are going to come together and make this great, you know, business and podcast and help a ton of people and reach so many different countries. I mean, that's really fucking impressive, you know? Okay. And, and that's, and that, and that's, and that, that's like, that, that fuels me up, you know, that kind of stuff fuels me up to see people succeed and, 
the unfortunate downside of it of people that don't do the deal that consistently run their head into the wall and expect something different. I, I look at that. And unfortunately the people that aren't on, you know, that are no longer on this planet, like both of those are fuel for me, like keep going, keep, yeah. you know, don't stop until, you know, you physically can't go any further where there's, you know, I, I don't feel like there's any, there's any barriers, anything sounds corny, but there's no barrier. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you for sure. What, what was the story about in the paper or, or that magazine? I, for, I just, I just, I don't remember the clarity oh. of it. Oh, for the, 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 the Reebok thing? Reebok. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I was, <laughs> I was coaching and training at a gym in Delray beach. One of the clients, she worked for uh, a small independent film company in Atlanta she, they, there was like this big event for the 2016 New York city marathon. And she posted online, like, Hey, does anybody know anybody that likes to run that has an inspirational story? Someone's like, call Matt Williams. Her and I, her and I communicated, you know, she said, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to kind of put a video together of your story and we're going to apply to see if we can get a part of it. And she said, you know, this company will fly you out. We went, Chelsea and I, my wife and I went out to Atlanta we did two days of shooting, put together this cool little like one minute, three minute video montage of like, you know, a comeback story. And it went to, you know, New York City. And out of all the entries in the country, we came into the top 10. And then the, the great community that we live in, you know, that everybody went to bat and everybody voted. And then we got to the top five and then we got to the top three. And I happened to be running the New York City Marathon that year. And there were so many great stories and, and just, you know, it was called real lives and real runners. And it was about why people run, why they exercise, why they do what they do to, you know, fuel their life. And we fortunately won the whole thing. And what was really cool was it was the first time I was really sharing my story and, and on national scale, you know, I had no idea, you know, Oh, cool. Yeah. It'll be on ESPN and all this stuff. But it was so cool because, there were people that reached out. They're like, Hey man, I was like literally folding laundry and I heard a voice. I'm like, man, that sounds familiar. And I turned, I'm like, Holy crap, Matty Williams. I haven't seen him. And I haven't seen him for 20 years, you know, That's and awesome. some people, yeah. Some people are like, Hey man, I thought you died, you know, and, or you, I thought, you know, I thought you were in jail wow. and other people and other people that were like, Hey man, I've been following your journey and it's really cool to see you not be a complete, you know, fucking disaster anymore. And that, you know, you're getting your life together. Hey, would you mind talking to my brother or my sister or my cousin or my, my dad or my mom? And, you know, they're struggling with addiction. And I was just like, wow. I was like, this is, this is the power of, you know, the universe and, you know, God and, 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 and just all this goodness of like, you do good and, you know, you're able to help people. And that just kind of all came together. And I was like, wow, this is really great. And, you know, a, a, a buddy of mine always says, you know, be, be, a, you know, we're doing a podcast. So this is going to be kind of hypocritical or I don't know what the word is. I'm going to blank on it, but like be, be a lighthouse, not a foghorn. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Live your life a certain way, live by morals, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk, like do, you know, what you say you're going to do and back it up. And don't just be this guy that's like, bah, 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 and sound good, you know, sound good in front of people, but actually live that way. And, you know, for the last, literally, I mean, from that experience, connecting with so many people or reconnecting with people from my old kind of life, it was 
a great experience to make amends to certain people that I thought would never talk to me again. It allowed me to reconnect with people and talk about sobriety and the journey and, and what I did for recovery and allow me to feel really, really comfortable sharing my experience, strength, and hope in a way that's just to share, you know, and, you know, uh, someone, someone pointed out to me, they're like, yeah, it's really cool that you have this peanut butter snack bar. Uh, but what's really cool is it's a platform for you to share your experience, strength, and hope in a way that, you know, it, it's, it can, it can get in front of a lot more people and it can be really positive and, you know, there's nothing tied to it other than like you wanting to be okay and help others see that. And in creating FroPro, you've created community, you know, you've, you're yeah. so tied into the community and you're always giving back and you're always, you know, lifting others and always donating to different, you know, different things, different events. So that's like you, you've created the community that you've desired. Yeah. yeah. What a cool, what a cool journey, man. And like the, so if you had to give some type of advice to people who are interested in recovery, because look, I mean, the thing that we all hear the most is that people are afraid that recovery is going to be boring. And <laughs> yeah, for according sure. to your story, and I would say Amanda and I's story as well, that could not be farther from the truth. In fact, I feel busier in order to maintain my recovery. I, I would say that we all feel busier than we ever were before. Right. I, I completely agree with that. So if you had to give a message to people of what, what are the, the few things that they should be doing to maintain their recovery, what, what would it be? What would you want to tell people? Um, wow. Uh, I would say focus, uh, focus on the day at hand and, you know, doing a little bit here and a little bit there with whatever you're trying to do. And, you know, if you have a dream or you have an idea or you have something, you know, make sure you're going to the people that, know what they're talking about and not just a naysayer uh, because I always had that belief that, you know, this is going to be something that I could do and be. And I've had a lot of people that are like, Hey man, remember you're like a 28 year old alcoholic loser that lost everything that's in debt. And, you know, why don't you just focus on, you know, working this and that. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's true. And you're right. But I always just say, man, put forth the effort and all that, you know, you can hear all these corny cliches, but this is one that really stuck out to me from the beginning of getting sober. It's like, I'm in the effort business, be in the effort business, watch your language, which is, I don't have to do shit today. I get to do this. I get to do a podcast. I get to, you know, go do deliveries and, and see accounts. I get to spend time with my wife day in and day out. I get to train really cool people. Like the language that we use, that was a big thing for me because I, I you know, we, we can suffer from saying different things in a way that we don't even realize it's hurting us. Right. So, yeah. Effort business language. And I mean, this doesn't apply to everyone. And I know Amanda may disagree, but wake the fucking sun up and hustle until you're done. Oh, I agree. Sometimes my body, <laughs> sometimes my body just doesn't. I think I'm the one that disagrees with that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, and yeah, and with the language thing, it's like somebody that looks in the mirror and says, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Well, guess what? If you say that every single day, you're going to be fat. Yeah. yeah. Or if I you say, to, like, I I'm to, stupid, you're going to feel stupid, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's just, you got to be, it's like, you, you follow these things, you got to watch the words we use. I used to, used to be this lady that would always be like, I'm a chronic relapser. And I'd be like, after the meeting, I was like, hey, I love you. And you're a chronic relapser because every time you open your mouth, you say that. And you're allowing yourself to do that and continue to do that. And you just like, you're not. You're 
just you're you're like everybody else here and you're just you know don't allow yourself to continue to do that if you keep saying that you know it's just you gotta watch the language that we use you know oh 100 yeah. it's so true man like they they always talk about how words influence our thoughts our thoughts influence yep. our words but reality the words that we say influence our thoughts which influence our behaviors and words and our beliefs then the things that we say really can reinforce the actions that we take in life and how far we're willing to take them and what we Ooh, believe like we that. can and can't do and right. if i continually tell myself that i can be a successful entrepreneur i know that i'm going to get there eventually i'm going to figure out a way i'm going to feel motivated enough i'm going to believe that but if i keep saying i'm yeah i'm a serial entrepreneur that keeps failing every business I, I run into is going to fail. I'm waiting for that, that prophecy to fulfill. Right. I, that's, yeah. yeah, that's, that's powerful. I like that. And when you are in that positive mind frame, then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like new miracles every day. Like things start materializing. It's like, oh my God, how is this happening? I want to pinch myself. Well, because I'm putting in the work and I'm believing in myself and I'm speaking kindly to myself. That's why it's happening. Yeah, I think, I think all, a combination of all those things, which is really tough, like, you know, the first, first, I think, little bit of sobriety is hypercritical and focusing on, on, on that. And again, not everybody can do that because they have, you know, family, kids, all these other things going on. But like, I was super fortunate to be able to engage in, okay, 28 years old, I don't have anyone, I don't have anything. And I'm just going to listen to what these people say and improve my life and pray and meditate and run and do all these things and focus on things that I love to do. And that's, I think anybody that you talk to that's successful, that makes a great living or enjoys and is super happy. I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess that they love what they do and they're not upset when they wake up in the morning. And I, and listen, I get it early sobriety. I worked a bunch of jobs because I, I really, I got to, but I had to, to make some money to continue to hustle, to do other things that I get to do today. Yep. Sacrifice. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got to start wrapping up here, but there's a couple of things right. that uh, we do first before we wrap up. And oh, the one thing I did want to comment on was that I love that people said to you that they thought you were dead. There's, there's nothing like, you know, when you start thinking that maybe I didn't have it as bad or maybe I wasn't as bad of an alcoholic or an addict as, <laughs> as uh, everybody else, or you start questioning it and then someone goes, wow, I thought you were dead. You're like, damn, I was that bad. You thought I died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah. yeah. Wow. That didn't really paint a good picture, huh? Yeah. Wow. Damn. Okay. Or wow. You got sober. If you could get sober, anybody could get sober. I heard that. Many times. Yeah. I, yeah. I heard that a lot. I, I love ones too, that were always sort of like quiet in your life. They were always there, but sort of in the background. And then you say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in recovery now. And they're like, good, man. You needed it. Like, Ooh, you, thank oh, God. You, you were right. Uh, yeah. It's like, damn, what did you tell me? Yeah, the, world, the, the world is a safer place now that you were sober. Correct. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So to end our show, when we really appreciate you coming on, appreciate your honesty you. and vulnerability and story and everything. It's, I think it's going to really help inspire other people. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was fun. We want to uh, remind awesome. everyone, cause you, you know, you seem pretty superhuman to me. You, you've got a lot going on and we want to remind everybody that we're all human here. So Correct. we've got a, we've got a final segment called let it out. All right. It gives everyone here on this podcast today the opportunity to share something that's bothering them today, something that they want to let out. That <laughs> is just, you know, we, we all come these major <laughs> adversities in life 
But what about the little adversities that we deal with, like the traffic you were referring to at 4.30 in the afternoon in, in, in South Florida? So what is something that's bothering you today? You just want to let it out, let that problem, get it out, share it, cut that problem in half. Return your, return your fucking shopping cart. <laughs> Whoa, that's, okay. That's, that's, that's my biggest pet peeve, that and use your blinker when you're driving. Mm. Yeah, power. Was I allowed to do two? Sorry, I let. Yeah, do us do four if you want. Dude, let it out, man. Let it out. Yeah, no, those two. Literally driving back here, it's a nice, comfortable drive. Time management wasn't a thing, and almost rear-ended four people who decided to turn left and or right into a place that didn't exist, and then stop in the middle of the road. So that was that. And this one is always up for debate because I've had a lot of, I've heard a lot of good both sides and I follow this really funny account on Instagram. It's called Cartnarks. If you don't follow it, it's really funny. And it's a guy that took it upon himself to literally <laughs> police the <laughs> to police shopping carts across the, across the country. And he starts off everyone when he sees someone leave, leave a cart, he'd be like, beep, 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 beep. Oh, you guys, Hey, that shopping cart's not going to take itself back. Uh, you're blocking the parking space. <laughs> this guy gets into some of the funniest, funniest conversations with people, and some of them turn physical. But That's I, awesome. <laughs> I just like it. Just drives me bananas when, especially, especially when it's somebody that's in workout gear, two, <laughs> maybe three. Again, you can take it at the cart corral. Cart corral is there for carts, but leaving it in right. someone's parking space or knocking it up on the side of the the, the, the little intersection or, or almost making it back but not making sure it's in and then it falls over. It's like, I always tell people, it's like, if you're going to do that, turn it on its side so the wheels don't even work and just block the whole spot because you're being an asshole. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> it goes so, to laziness too. It speaks yeah, to laziness. I, yeah. I was just going to say, you opened a can of worms with that one. Uh, but, mm. you know, other than that, you know, then people be like, hey, Matt, why don't you like live and let live, brother? And I'm like, no, I got you. I, you know, but you asked. So there you go. <laughs> We all have our yeah, we all have our pet peeves, and it sounds like you you policing these these shopping cart returns. Uh, you're a real hero, and I'll it's say serious all, business. It's not very all, serious. Not all heroes wear capes, and I I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for your <laughs> I, service. I literally have applied to be the South Florida chapter of Cartnarks, and I haven't heard anything back yet. So hopefully oh they'll hear God. this and they'll take this seriously. Oh, I hope they do. We'll tag them. You know how when people retire, like they go work at Walmart, like just as a greeter, sure. you could go get that job with the ulterior motive that you're going to police <laughs> the parking lot. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't let it be ulterior because I'd have to be very honest. Hey, I'm going to work here at Publix because I'm going to police everybody who doesn't do what they're supposed to do. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, mine, mine will be, um, actually, Matt, you and I touched on this the other day while we were um, talking, people giving unsolicited advice. Oh, you, uh, that's such a good one. I should have said that. It's such a good one because, mm. like, you know, people, as, as a woman, I feel like people have done it my whole life. When I was pregnant, people would tell me things. When I had my baby, <laughs> people would tell me things. And then yeah. now that I've, you know, that I've started a business, I feel like people just ha feel like the desire to give unsolicited opinions, especially people that aren't close to me. You know, if it's somebody that's mm. close to me, they can always give me unsolicited um, advice. And right. then, you know, with, with certain people, I ask. I'm like, listen, do you want to hear my opinion? Because you might not like yeah. my opinion. You know, yep. and I think that like having that kind of dialogue with people, unless you're like in that super inner circle, like I don't want to hear unsolicited advice. I don't care. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, that definitely. But then, you know, 
play devil's advocate when we talked about this the other day. Someone would be like, well, Amanda, maybe you should check your ego because advice is coming from somebody else that may want to, you know, tell you something that you don't know. But I am totally with you on that. And it's always people that, hey, you know what you should do? Oh, yeah, please tell me. I'm in the food business. What business are you in? Oh, no, I, I do this or I do something completely out of your business. Okay, right. so how, how is this going to apply? Unless it's general service or customer service, it's just what I should do in the food business and you, you know, let's just say you make tennis rackets. Like, what, what are we talking about here? Right. Well, like I have mentors and people that I go to for that kind of advice. Like, I'm, right. I'm filled with like mentors for everything and like, and you know, people that have done supervision for me. So if I want to ask somebody for advice, I have plenty of good people to ask that I want yeah. advice from. Correct. You know, that's the difference. <laughs> Those are good ones, guys. What about you? <sighs> I, I got two going on right now, too. One, um, with a don't ask for help and then lie to the person you ask for help to. And that really bothers me is that if somebody wants help and promises honesty, and I understand that sometimes not being honest is part of the problem, right? but don't let it go on so long and live a fake life outside of what you're you're presenting to me because i feel like then our time has been completely wasted and i'm still going to work with you i'm not going to judge you and i'm still going to work with you but don't give me don't give me lip service because it makes you feel better i want to do real work with people and i can't stand i can't stand being lied to uh, in a time where people are supposed to be honest with me Blake, we both experienced that this week. We both went through that professionally, yeah. you know, dealing with big lies, you know? So the other yeah. thing that I have to mention is that I get very annoyed by people, by successful people who come up with like products that are so ridiculous and they seem to do very little work behind it or like, um, you know, like just like these little like tchotchkes that we see online. You're like, what? What is that? Like, why? How did you get rich from that? Like, that's not fair. Like, <laughs> I, I want that. So, like, that's my own issue. It's me comparing myself to others and wanting, wanting to like, get rich quick. Sometimes, you know, we all have those moments where we like don't want to put the work in, even so though that I. Probably, so that probably started back in the day when the guy came up with the pet rock, I guess. Yeah. So that, that is a great example. And, and yeah. listen, I'm, I'm fully on board. Like I understand. And if anything is recovery is a great example of this. The gym's a great example, like hard work and consistency equal results. Exactly. But like I have all these great ideas for these little novelty <laughs> products and I don't know how to implement them or create them. Right. Like for example, the booger basket, I think it'd be a great yeah. idea for people to have like a miniature Ba- a waste basket that you can clip into your car, you can clip next to your bed on the nightstand, where you put your boogers when you don't know what That's to do. That's nasty. With them. But I, but I think it'd be a great idea. I just don't know how to implement it, and I know the money's out there for me, just waiting to grab it. But I just don't have the time or the wherewithal to get it done. That makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit, Blake. Mm. I was just going to say, what, what happens to the you know the bottom of the car floor where most of them go? It's going to get really lonely down there. Well, that's what I'm saying. So instead of putting them in your car, you've got like a, a I basket. I put them in a tissue. What's wrong with you animals? A but tissue. not everybody has a tissue. So like, I keep tissues everywhere. Tissue. You have a booger basket that you can choose the skin on it, like whatever it looks like. 
has a little finger scraper or maybe has like a little gum oh. wrapper that you could take off and put your booger in and throw it away. So they, wow. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to start developing something because I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. And, and here's the thing. I recognize that it's disgusting, but I can picture the viral video and advertisement right now. Yeah. Of what it would look like of having like a really cute girl in bed next to some guy that she like just slept with and like she, he's like falling asleep but she has a booger to pick and doesn't know where to put it. <sighs> like I could just picture it now. So she puts it in the booger basket. Well, yeah, that she, one actually that would be the booger basket bedside edition. Well, <laughs> I want it to be able to clip into anywhere discreetly, so like she could keep it in her purse and like pull out her booger basket. But what does she do with her booger finger? Oh, well, that you just wipe on the covers. <laughs> no, nah, there would be something that you stick your finger into the booger basket, and when you pull it out, it sanitizes the finger and leaves you fresh. Ooh, Ooh I like that. Oh, maybe make, like the, like, the surface of it on the outside be, like, antimicrobial so you can, like, See? rub your fingers on it. Now, now, now we're getting into it. And then we have like a, a scene in the commercial where you just see people like, it rinses right off. Boogerfinger rinse, rinses right off. Just in Sanitize your hand. I'm telling wow. you. Guys, support me. Let's start a GoFundMe. We got yep. this. Kickstarter. Yo, what's up? Booger I'm with basket. it. You're I'm out there. It. You guys are I'm, out there. I'm what? So, I'm like Thank you, Matt, so much for coming on today. You were, <laughs> you were an awesome guest. We had so much fun. Nice way to wind up the week. And um, Blake, you want to tell people how to find us? You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere where podcasts are listened to. Check us out on Overcoming Adversity on Instagram. Check us out on LinkedIn, Blake Cohen and Amanda Marino. Matt, where do people find you and where do people find FOPRO? Uh, you can find us in the great state of Florida and any Whole Foods in the uh, different sections, but it's usually by where the other snack bars are. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at GoFroPro. That's G-O-F-R-O-P-R-O. -O -O. You can find me personally at M-W-A-R Williams. That's M-W-A-R-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. It's just Matthew Williams, which is pretty generic because there's probably hundreds and thousands of Matthew Williams out there um and facebook as well so uh yeah pretty easy to get a hold of me and my wife chelsea um we all kind of share the accounts and go from there cool awesome right. awesome thank you and this you. Uh, this this particular podcast is sponsored by next level recovery associates for your intervention life coaching recovery coaching sober transportation and sober companion needs beautiful that was really nice amanda <laughs> All right, bye everyone. Thank you. <laughs> bye guys. Yeah. Take care. I Thanks guys. To break free.